Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Good evening. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Justin, and it's actually been a little while since I've been able to uh, talk to teach on a Tuesday night. So this is, this is exciting. I'm, I'm actually, I don't know if you, if you don't know me and I'm a lot, I'm sorry, but that's just kind of my personality. So I'm just going to go with it. I'm really excited to be here tonight. I'm excited to teach. I'm excited to worship with you guys. Uh, the, those songs, it's just, it's awesome and it's encouraging. And I hope you guys feel that too. It's, uh, it's fun. I'm, I'm happy to be here. So I want to start off tonight with a question, because that's fun. And, and the question is, what makes you qualified? Maybe uh, a different way to ask that question is, what gives you credibility? Now, logically, I know you're all thinking it. You're like a rhetorical question. I'm not going to talk. But the question is like, well, what am I trying to be qualified for, right? Because if I'm trying to be qualified for a job or an internship, then maybe it's my resume or what's on my LinkedIn profile. If I'm trying to be qualified for uh, a dating relationship or for maybe it's a, a position on exec in, in some organization you're involved in, well, then it could be your personality or, or certain qualities that you want to talk about. Well, what about when it comes to Jesus, your relationship with God, what makes you qualified with God? And I ask that question because tonight we're going to pick up our series of John and we're going to be introduced to a character and his name is Nicodemus. And in Jesus's day, Nicodemus, he would have been one of those guys that was thought to be the most qualified with God by maybe himself, but also by everyone around. And that's because Nicodemus, this character we're going to read about tonight, he was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee and he was a ruler of the Jews. And so we, I think a lot of times today, when we hear Pharisee, you and I, we might think, oh, that's enemy, that's bad, bad, bad. No, no, no. And, and I get how we get there, right? It's because, you know, we've been in church, we hear about the Pharisees that were trying to get Jesus to trip up. They were trying to get Jesus to mess up. And ultimately, Pharisees and Jewish rulers, they were the ones that had Jesus crucified. So, so I get why we jump to that. But for a Jew in Jesus's day, a religious person, the Pharisees were known for their passion. They were passionate, passionate, passionate about God's law. And if we could give Nicodemus a title today, it would be something like the, the pastor, doctor, professor, 
uh, yada, 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 whole bunch of letters after his name and his email, that kind of guy. You know, these Pharisees, they were the top dogs. They were assumed to have the best standing with God. They were the ones that everyone looked to. They were the superstars. They were the ones that we would say that everyone would assume were the most qualified. So if you have your Bibles, um, let's just jump right in. Do you want to look with me to John chapter 3? That's where we're going to be tonight. John chapter 3 verse 1 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Okay, we got there. Awesome. This man, he came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So we start off, a couple verses, we see that Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus. He's heard about Jesus. He's heard about the signs that Jesus has been doing, and he's learning that Jesus is getting a following. And so he decides that he's going to have a conversation with Jesus. And this is kind of one of those things that when I read this, I kind of imagine like Nicodemus is like, you know, the guy on the block that like has been there for a little while. Everyone's afraid of him. He's the top guy. And then Jesus moves in and, and he's kind of getting some friends. He's kind of getting some followers. And then Nicodemus is like, well, I got to go check this guy out, right? Like if I'm the top guy and he's coming in, I got to go see what this guy is all about, right? And so from those verses that we read, it, it seems pretty mild so far. It appears Nicodemus, he doesn't want any trouble. He, he acknowledges Jesus' signs. He acknowledges that um, those signs are from God. You know, he's, he's respectful. He's a kind. But what would probably help us to know is that in the Jewish culture of the time, it was very common to come to someone and to kind of admire them or to praise them before bringing any sort of disputes you had against him. And so this is kind of like that where you affirm someone, you, you compliment them so that you can critique them. That, that's kind of what Nicodemus is going to do. And along with that, Nicodemus has this kind of implied question of, who are you, Jesus? Like, where did you come from? Nazareth, yes, but where did you come from? Are you a prophet or what? And this is the best part. Um, Nick, or Jesus responds just out of left field with a haymaker. You know, he just comes in for the punch. He says this in verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is, it seems to me like one of those conversations where there, there's like two levels going on, right? You've got Nicodemus that's like the very simple, basic, like this is what Jesus is talking about. And then you got Jesus like, nah, nah, I'm actually up here. Like this is what I'm talking about. Like, come on, man, get with me. And you know, the first time I read this, if I'm honest, I'm more in Nicodemus's boat, right? I'm like, Jesus, what are you talking about? And so I want to spend some time tonight kind of unpacking, what is Jesus saying? And 
the first thing I want to draw your attention to is, is that we see twice Jesus says very close to the same thing. Verse 3, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so when we read this, I think, hopefully, we want to ask, okay, what does this mean? What is the kingdom of God? What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be born of water and spirit? Jesus, what the heck are you talking about, dude? And if we go back a little bit in time, maybe you were here a couple weeks ago, you would have heard Kyle talk about the kingdom of God. And to see or to enter the kingdom of God is to be in the presence of God. It's to dwell with God. It's to understand not only are we meant for God's kingdom, but ultimately his kingdom is what we were created for, and it's the only kingdom that will satisfy us. Okay, so we got kingdom of God. To enter the kingdom of God, Jesus first says we have to be born again. Now, hopefully this is obvious. I'm going to give you a little hint, though. What Nicodemus thought being born again meant is not what Jesus was talking about when he said be born again. So don't worry there. But I think a lot of us here, when, when we hear born again, there, there's kind of like a, a flag or maybe a little radar that goes off in our mind. And I think that's because it's a sad but true reality that in our culture, born again doesn't have a great connotation. Uh, I, I kind of talked to some people, asked them, hey, what do, you, what do you think of when you think of born again? What comes to mind? And and the, for the most part, the answer was uh, kind of uncomfortable, kind of, kind of weird, kind of like icky, hesitant, maybe skeptical from the people that you've heard say they were born again. Um, for some of you, maybe born again, it has like this super drastic change, right? Like I was this and now I'm this and it was like that. And, and it's just this extreme black and white conversion, you know, others of you, I know some people that have had experiences of born-again people that they were kind of judgmental, they were hypocritical, they were self-righteous, and for some of them, they just wouldn't shut up. And so they have this negative view of born-again. Or maybe you've looked and searched born-again before like I have, and you come up with a quiz like this one, uh, there it is. And it says, only born-again Christians can pass this test about the Bible. And it comes with questions like, what is the first book of the Bible? The question, how many testaments is the Bible divided into? And then third question, this is my favorite. Jesus used blank to feed 5,000 people. Was it A, seven slices of bread and two pigs? B, five loaves of bread and two fish? Or three Three hot buns and one cow. Now, now we laugh, right? Because we know how outlandish that that sounds. Hopefully, if you don't, that's outlandish. That's not accurate at all. I'm not condoning that. I'm not saying to take that quiz. And if you do, you're born again. But needless to say, I, I think a lot of us come here tonight, I myself included, come to this passage kind of confused about what born again means. Like, are these Jesus' qualifications? Are those 
Is that what he was talking about when he was talking to Nicodemus? Is our culture right in the way that they portrayed someone as being born again? And I think if you're like me, if the answer is yes, then I don't really know that I want to identify as born again. And yet there's something when Jesus says this that you and I need to hear and to understand. And it's important and it's crucial actually to following Jesus. And so what does it mean to be born again? Because like I said, it's necessary for everyone, anyone that is going to see and enter the kingdom of God. That means that it applies to Nicodemus and the religious leaders and the people following Jesus in his day. But it also applies to you and I who, for a lot of us, maybe are trying to follow Jesus today. And let me just say, shameless plug, these are the times that I'm really grateful for my study Bible because when you read it, right after the word again, it's got a footnote. And I know probably 2% of you actually look at footnotes when there's a footnote. So maybe look at the footnotes every now and then. But when you look at the footnote, again, it actually says that that word, it can be translated as from above. And I think think that the translation from above, it kind of goes a little more in line with what Jesus is saying in verse 5 when he tells Nicodemus that he must be born of water and the Spirit. This, this new birth, this regeneration, well, it must be from above. It must be from the work of the Holy Spirit. It's something that is done to us, not of our own abilities, but of God's grace. And now because that might seem for some of us a little high in the sky, a little Christianese still, let's maybe look at another passage in Scripture that, that aligns with this one, that overlaps with this one. And that is God's promise to his people Israel in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. This comes from Ezekiel chapter 36. It says, starting at 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now, maybe you're like me and you don't have Ezekiel 36 memorized. But for someone who knew their Old Testament like Nicodemus... This should have been connecting to what Jesus was saying. He should have been able to go and think, oh yeah, this is how one is to enter the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is talking about. Being born again from above, being born of water and of spirit, it means that God is talking about cleansing his people. And it's not just like a wipe down, no. It's like a total cleanse inside and out. He's completely ridding God's people of sin and the sin that is in each of them and the brokenness. He's forgiving them of everything in them that is not how they were created to be. And we also see that God promises to give them a new heart, a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. He promises to put his spirit in them so that they're able to live out this renewed life, this new life in obedience to him. But 
What Jesus can see, and we can't, is that when Nicodemus hears this in John 3, he didn't get it. He didn't understand it. And this is not, as we said at the beginning, this is not what Nicodemus thought made someone qualified before God. Jesus could see that Nicodemus and others in his time, they didn't get the qualification. They didn't understand how you were qualified with God. They thought it was following the law. They thought it was obedience. And now before all of us sitting here, we, we, we read about this, right? And we think, ha, Nicodemus, he sucks. Like, he didn't get it. Let's, let's not scoff at him. Let's not shake our heads too fast, right? Let's, let's be a little reflective and think, okay, how can we relate to Nicodemus? What areas of our life do we see this? Maybe for some of you, it's, it's an internal pressure. It's, it's this feeling that I have to measure up. I have to do the right things. I, I have to do the things that make me a Christian along with my faith so that I make sure that I'm okay. Or, or maybe it's external pressure. It's just from your friends, you feel like, okay, I have to have you know, highlights all over my Bible and post-its and memorized and I have to be leading in this organization. I have to be doing this over the summer and I have to be doing that on my weekends. We get so involved in these groups that, that we kind of fall in line with the same way that Nicodemus did. It wasn't following the Old Testament, but we're fighting to measure up. And for a lot of us, it's, it comes with that feeling of, I, God, I can't measure up. I can't do this. Or maybe if you're a little less driven, you're a little similar to me, you kind of have that feeling of, you know, being a Christian. And as long as I, you know, I go to church, I'm a good person, then, then that's okay, right? That's enough. I sit quietly on Sundays and I'm good. But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about either. And, and one thing I think we can grasp from this is that if Nicodemus, with his understanding of Scripture, his status, his integrity, his zealousness for God, which, no offense, are way beyond what yours and mine are, if he cannot qualify and gain access into God's kingdom, then what hope is there for us seeking God's kingdom in the same way? How can you and I live in a way that will earn us the beauty of what God promises with his kingdom and what it has to offer? Now, hopefully that's, that's challenging, right? You, hopefully we feel a little challenged by that, but I'm not going to end there. There's hope, right? We want to understand what Jesus means, what he's talking about. There's another way. There's a better way. So there's still promise for us, okay? When reading this, we need to understand the passage in John, the passage in Ezekiel. Jesus is talking about believing Scripture, trusting God's promise, trusting that he gives us a new heart, trusting that faith in Jesus and what he has done is enough, and that with that new heart, with that faith, we are cleansed and we are given the gift of eternal life. And that's what we need to understand from this passage. And as I've been studying this passage, there's been a, a word that I don't know if this is going to be helpful. Hopefully it's helpful for you, but it's been helpful for me. 
And it's helped me kind of wrap my eyes or wrap my mind around this. And it's the word transform or transformation. Uh, Dictionary.com defined it as to change in condition, nature, or character. Scripture tells us, and, and I think, I hope all of us agree that we need change. We need transformation because of the sin and the brokenness in this world. Each of us is in need of transformation. Each of us is in need of being renewed, of being cleansed, of being made right with God to enter the kingdom of God. All of us must be born again. All of us must be born of water and the Spirit. And so what if we just maybe just pause for a second, time out, and and we ask ourselves to answer that question. How would you answer if someone asked you, have you been born again? What What would you say to that? Not the way that our culture tries to define it, not the way that Nicodemus was trying to define it, but has God, by his spirit, transformed, is transforming your life? Now, if you're like me, that's kind of one of those questions that, you know, hopefully I work for a church, so I'm like, yeah, yeah, like maybe got a question mark on the end of it. I'm like, I I think so. I want it to be so, but there's still a part of me that's kind of like, well, I guess I don't know for sure. And and that's what we kind of all have to realize is is there's, there's no clear cut. There's no quiz that we can take to know this is true of ourselves. We, we can't fully know. But if we go back to our passage in John, again, we can see that Jesus gives us a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of comfort about the Spirit. If we look at John picking it up in verse 8, Jesus says this. He says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I love how Jesus does this. He likens the Spirit to wind. It's like, okay, thank you, Jesus, I get it now. We're good. Can you see wind? No. Can you tell where wind is coming from? Can anyone here, you can raise your hand if you want, can you tell where wind is going? Now maybe if you're a certain major and you have way more technology than I do, you can, but for the most part, we're going to answer safe to say no, right? But we can see the effects of wind. We can see what it does to things. Now, that could be leaves blowing across the lawn. That could be your homework flying out of your hand. It could be your hair blowing in your face. We can see the effects of wind all around us, and this is the same way Jesus tells us with the Spirit. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you exactly what this looks like, when and where and how we will see the Spirit, how we will know when we're born again. But we're told that when God's Spirit comes into us, it is going to transform us. It is going to have effects in our lives. And not just one area of our life, all, every area of our lives. And this will look differently, right? It will look differently for you and for you and for you and for you, right? But that's the beauty of it is that there's no cookie-cutter way that the wind blows. There's no cookie-cutter way that the Spirit moves. For example, if I give you a couple stories, we can take one. My friend in college, his name 
Uh, we'll call him Bill. And Bill, uh, I met him in my small group, and he was, uh, he was a bro coming to small group. Uh, he mistexted our small group one time and asked if we wanted to get high and go to the nature sanctuary in St. Louis. And so I was like, okay, that's, that's okay. You know, it happens. Like, but he was kind of living the college life, right? Like he was doing his thing, you know, watching out for number one, doing what makes him happy. And he actually, I don't know how, but he signed up to go on a mission trip with me and a group of us to Jamaica. And, and, and guys, on this trip, it was, it was just night and day. Something in him, it just clicked. And he had this hunger, this thirst, this drive for Jesus coming back that even those who didn't know Jesus that knew him before, they saw the change. They saw the fire in his heart and his desire to do things differently, to live differently. And, and praise God, right? Praise God for God working in his life and the Holy Spirit going into him. And then you have people like me, right? I grew up in the church. I grew up going to church because I had to. I remember uh, my senior year, or not my senior year, my freshman year of high school, we had an FCA event in the gym. I remember exactly where I was sitting, and they did kind of one of those things at the end where we close our eyes and, and we raise our hands if we want to put our faith in Jesus, and then we all open our eyes up, and then they say, okay, if you raised your hand, come forward. I was like, oh gosh, didn't know I signed up for this, but I went forward, and and I thought, okay, boom, I'm, I'm good, right? I am born again. I am transformed. But there was like no actual transformation in my life. There was no change in, in my actions, in my desires, in my behavior. And so that's why when people ask me, I don't actually know that I became a Christian then. But in college, um, over the course of a year, a year and a half, I got plugged into Veritas. I got in a small group. I, I started going to church because I actually wanted to. And, and over the, this course of time, I just, I saw my, my actions were changing. My, my desires were changing. The people I was hanging out with was changing. And it was, it was this transformation in my heart that slowly and, and painfully, I, I just reoriented. My life was reoriented towards God. And, you know, that's still happening to me today, but I, I praise God. I, I rejoice that, you know, he did that to me, that he changed my heart and my desires. And some of you, you might be like my wife, Haley. She, if you ask her if she was ever born again or when that happened, she couldn't tell you. And she couldn't tell you because she hasn't known a time in her life when she hasn't known Jesus. She didn't have any dramatic one-time event. She didn't have any crazy experience that completely reoriented her life. No, she grew up in the church. She grew up hearing stories from Scripture. And yet, I have the privilege to see God is still transforming her life. She continues to grow in her love for Jesus and others. And I see that in her desire to serve people and her desire to seek justice in the world today. And praise God for her not knowing a time when her faith was not in God. And wherever you are today, maybe you relate to one of those stories. I just want to say that each story 
is unique and it's beautiful and it reveals the grace and the love and the goodness of God. There's no competition. There's no best testimony that's the most radical. There's no boring testimony that I didn't have a radical transformation. No, each and every single one of us that is brought into the kingdom of God has a unique and a beautiful story that doesn't put a spotlight on us, but puts a spotlight on God. And so hopefully I can leave you with one, one just final, one simple encouragement. And that's just the reminder that this transformation, it's a process. And I'm going to be honest, at times it's going to be a grind. It's not a, it's not a one and done kind of deal. It's not a, okay, I raised my hand in the gym and now I'm good to go. I live my life. No, this is day in, day out transformation. If you've been around Veritas very long, you've probably heard us say, two steps forward towards Jesus, one step back. It's daily reminders. We all need daily encouragements from scripture, from friends, from worship services that will help us to believe and to live out the hope that is within us as followers of Jesus. And Haley and I, so we were driving back from my parents' house this Sunday, and I was kind of asking like, hey, by the way, I'm going to talk about you on Tuesday. Is that okay? Okay, cool. Um, and we're, we're talking a little bit more, and we're just kind of talking about everything and she just had, she said this amazing thing. I just, I wrote it down. So these are her words, not mine. But she was talking about it not being a one-time event. It was, it's not about the cool, dramatic testimony. No, she said this. She said, it's about a lifetime of continuing to choose Jesus. It's about a lifetime of continuing to choose Jesus. And, and that's true for all of us. And so... How I want to end it here tonight, how I want to close and leave us is as the music team comes back, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor, and, and you might feel uncomfortable. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to ask all of us to close our eyes, and I'm going to ask if I can lead you through a prayer. So if you do that, would you close your eyes with me so that we can pray together? With your eyes closed, would you just ask for God's spirit to be at work in you? Would you ask for God to reveal himself to you? Would you ask God, by his grace, to begin to or to continue to transform your life, redirect your life towards him? Would you ask God to cleanse you of your sin, to forgive you of the brokenness that is in you? And would you ask God to give you a new heart, a heart that longs for his kingdom, to come and ask for the reminders day in and day out and the desire and the strength to live a life of choosing Jesus. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this time. God, be at work in our lives. Give us a heart of flesh. Cleanse us of 
our impurity, of our brokenness. God, help us to seek you, to love you, to live for you, and to believe that, God, ultimately you are more, and it's more than we can imagine. And and that kingdom that we're longing for, God, it comes to us as a gift of your grace. And God, we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.